Everybody's extremely excited and, and looking forward to competing this year as a team, understanding what Coach Terry wants out of all of us from a schematic standpoint to a breakdown of where we should be at defensively and how to basically play the game more efficiently this season. People believe that college athletes should be considered amateurs. They should not be considered professionals and that they should not be paid. But I think most players and people who have watched the game and seen the amount of money these games are generating, seen how kids oftentimes are exploited at a lot of these major colleges and universities, there is enough money to go around. When Shaq initially disdained, he said that it wasn't anything personal, it was just more so words and rap, like Shaq challenge him in a diss and he was going to challenge Shaq. It's what MCs and artists alike do. And I think it was very competitive. Obviously, there's no real malice or beef towards one another, but I think they really went at each other. Welcome to the Red Grange episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 77. Back in Portland, Oregon, the season has officially started. It's underway. Uh, many teams across the NBA are going through two-a-days right now, which basically means you have a contact practice in the morning and a non-contact practice at night. Due to the CBA rules and reasonings, we are not allowed to have back-to-back -back contact practices and there's a certain amount of hours we can spend on the court as a team. And I am very thankful for those rules and regulations that are in place. And I feel sorry for those that came before me that were forced to go through much, much more stress on the body and mind uh, throughout training camp. Jordan is back on the East Coast, so I'm sure he's enjoying the heat wave that has taken over the world. And he may have watched the Houston Rockets uh, beat the brakes off of a team recently and witnessed James Harden's one-legged three-pointer miss badly. How could you miss it? <laughs> How could you miss it? There's nothing on TV right now, so they have to show preseason games and make highlights out of pregame warm-ups. Well, he did it during the game and missed from the corner. Russell Westbrook looked like he was about – he would have gone crazy if he made it. Uh, it was entertaining, not effective. I told you this summer, having watched James in the five-on-five -five run at, at Brick Spot, in the city that I, I didn't think that move was going to be very effective at all. Um, maybe he's still tinkering with it, but it doesn't look very natural. And it only takes like a two for 17 start for him to say, you know what, this is not working. Yeah. I don't think it's a shot he's going to try to do often. I think it's something that uh, he's messing around with right now in terms of trying to create separation and uh, being iconic. And with his step back, I figured he wanted to make it more advanced uh, so to speak, but if you're north south with the one one legged three pointer, I think it's it's a more efficient shot. It could be more productive. I know a lot of players in Europe shoot one legged threes. My brother's been shooting one legged threes for for a little while now overseas, and you see it more often times than not in Europe, uh, especially when guards are coming downhill off ball screens and are able to kind of get that leg square. I need, even Steve Nash shot a lot of mid range jumpers where he was off balance, maybe one leg um, as he's going downhill. We're trying to find that angle off the backboard, but. Uh, I think that the best part about this whole situation is that the NBA has officially started and that uh, teams are, you know, now scrimmaging against each other. There's some preseason games that are taking uh, 
take a notice here shortly. I think in Hawaii, we have the Clippers and Houston Rockets will be playing each other. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be playing the Denver Nuggets uh, on Tuesday. And I know that the Lakers are also taking a trip to China. So it's, it's going to be a fun time uh, this season. I think I'm most looking forward to just being able to compete against other teams again, being able to see, you know, the improvements players individually have made as well as teams based on adjustments and free agent signings. Have you had a chance to see some some clips from the Brooklyn Nets uh, scrimmages uh, with Kyrie with the mask on? Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to understand what's going on there. I have um, – the Nets are an interesting team for a lot of reasons. The mask is uh, – like – that's not a. I mean, that's a temporary thing, right? Like he's just doing that. No, he got hit. He got hit in his face. Because um, it in looks, it's a camo workouts. mask. It's a camo mask. The, <laughs> the reason I say it might be temporary because some guys, after they play with it for a while, start to like it, and they'll and they'll they'll use it longer than they actually need to from a safety perspective. Yeah, I think depending on the the severity of the injury and how comfortable a player is with it, obviously he's he's had injuries to his face before, so I'm sure he had a, a mask on standby and was able to kind of turn it around quicker than normal. But a lot of guys get comfortable with it and they become superstitious and want to leave it on or they fear that they're going to get hit in their nose or their jaw or whatever is bothering them again and they try to protect it. But I think that he'll probably play in it for a little bit and then once he's extremely comfortable, he'll take it off because there, there are some issues guys have with breathing uh, in the mask and having the mask kind of fog up at times. Have you ever had to wear one? I haven't. I haven't had to wear one, thank the Lord, and uh, knock on wood, I hope I never have to be in that position to where I have to wear a mask because that means you had a serious facial injury. And as a shooter, I mean, there's, you know, that adjustment is one thing to have, you know, something wrong with your finger or your hand uh, or an ankle, but when you're talking about your vision and depth depth perception, I mean, these are things that really can affect you. I, I never had to have it in college either, um, but uh, I, I just... I can't get over that look. I mean, it really is something. I think he actually looks kind of good with the camo mask. Um, <laughs> I kind of hope he wears it for a regular season game just for the reaction of the fans. But it doesn't seem to be hurting him very much. CJ, what's it like being back in Portland, being around the coaching staff, the players, uh, all your guys? Because I imagine it's that, the camaraderie that you really miss over the summer. That's probably the, the best part of camp, at least uh, right now. It's definitely a cool feeling. Everybody's extremely excited and, and looking forward to competing this year. I always say it's like the first day of school. And obviously, this is my seventh season, so it's like the first day of school going into high school or going into college or, or going into like that next level of the workplace, understanding the game that much more, understanding what, what I need to accomplish this season individually and collectively as a team understanding what Coach Terry wants out of all of us from a schematic standpoint to a breakdown of where we should be at defensively and how to basically play the game more efficiently this season you know, than I did in, in past years is always the goal. But it's been great, man. We, we've been getting up and down, getting after it defensively, offensively, scrimmaging. Um, there's a lot of talent on this roster. We've had a lot of new players you know, come in and we've lost a lot of players. So getting everybody acclimated with our culture, how we do things in Oregon, uh, what times we show up to stuff, the film aspect of breaking down uh, the games and, and figuring out how we can be more sharp, how we can push the pace and shoot more threes. So it's been great, man. We got a lot of new pieces, a lot of guys who are going to contribute this season. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to the, the challenge of uh, trying to get to the NBA Finals. The two guys I'm really interested in from a new, uh, you know, changing team's perspective is, is Hassan Whiteside and obviously Nasir Little coming in uh, as a draft pick. What's 
I guess, what have you seen from both of them, although it's very early, and what do you like from them? Yeah, I've seen a lot from both of them, especially Whiteside early on, uh, a guy who's played the NBA for quite some time, who's led the NBA in block shots, who's led the NBA in rebounds. Obviously, the numbers he put up last year were in, I don't know, 20, 21 minutes a night. He's getting a double-double. His ability to alter shots is, is something that's special, unlike anything I've seen uh, from a teammate of mine before. Great length. You're talking about a guy who can basically hang on the rim and have his toes touching the ground. So that gives you a perspective of how long he truly is. And you add that athleticism that he has, you add that frame and his timing. And he's a he's a problem right away on the defensive end. On the offensive end, he knows how to carve space. He knows how to seal. He has a jump hook. He can catch lobs, and he's a threat around the basket to where you have to respect him. Uh, on the rolls, if he's not available, he's been turning and sealing and, and doing a great job. And we're getting him more acquainted with catching in the middle and making quick decisions, whether that's a float or hitting it to the weak side. So it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. We're all adjusting to each other and figuring out what type of passes we have to make to certain guys and, and figuring out spacing, uh, what angles we like to come off screens. But overall, it's been great. And, and Nazir Little is going to be very talented. He asks questions. He works hard. Um, he's in the gym getting shots up. A lot of nights when I go in and, and double back to try to get some work in, he's in the gym um, trying to tighten up some of his uh, deficiencies. And he wants to learn. I think that's the biggest thing for young guys, you know, their work ethic and how eager they are to learn and be coached. So his athleticism is already off the charts. His, his skill set in terms of what he'll do in the NBA is still developing and evolving. So I look forward to seeing, you know, Nazir as he continues to, to grow in age. I told you from the get-go that I loved that pickup in the draft. For one, he, he from a talent perspective, you could have made a case he should have been a top five, top ten pick. You guys get him at 25, I believe. And then, you know, he's going to be very motivated. He already plays with a chip on his shoulder. He's that kind of player. Plays very hard. And he, I just love these, you know, young, versatile wings that can play and guard multiple spots. Uh, I think he'll be a perfect fit for for you guys, and I think he'll grow offensively. And then you mentioned Whiteside. You know, there's a lot for him to prove, CJ, you know, because he was, like, five years ago, people thought this guy was going to be – five years ago, people thought he'd be a perennial all-star. Uh, you know, he things did not end very well in Miami. You talk about him not playing a ton of minutes. He's got fresh legs. Uh, he just turned 30, but he's got a lot of tread left on those tires, and, and he's going to be very motivated. So I love both those pickups. Um, I'm curious for you – um, you know, how does Nurk look, uh, feel? I know he won't be playing right away, but what's the status of, of Yusuf? Nurk looks great. Uh, he's in a really good spot from a weight standpoint to movement and the things he's doing in the weight room. I'm, I'm really impressed with uh, the transition he's made from crutches to not being able to walk to being back walking with his boot off to being on the bikes to now actually getting on the court and doing some movement stuff um i'm really impressed with our staff and, and the way he's approached this entire process he's happy again he's excited about the opportunity to be back around the team you know when you go through the rehab phase it's very difficult on you you know mentally and physically physically you're worn down you're depending on others again and it's hard for you to to really be self-sufficient and then you're you're not really around the team as much as you'd like to be because you're rehabbing. So you're secluded. You're not traveling. So for us to all be back in town again, for him to be able to come to practices, work out while we're working out, see us, interact with us, and continue to progress uh, in the right direction is, is amazing. So we're really looking forward to getting him back. Obviously, we're not going to rush him. Uh, we want to make sure he's 100% and he has, he has the right and the chance to take as much time as he needs. Uh, and when he comes back, we'll be ready to go. We'll be off and running. 
and uh, we will be able to utilize our big fella again, and he'll make us that much better because of his versatility. Uh, people forget how dominant Nurk was before he went down. You know, he was really dominating both ends of the court. His passing, his his touch around the basket, he had showed an improved jump shot. He's making his free throws, and um, he was really turning the corner and putting up all star caliber numbers. I remember when he went down. You talked about how you went to his house and, sp and spent some time with him, and just tried to make sure his mindset was in the right place. Um, sounds like you feel as if he really maintained that positivity despite some of the struggles. He definitely, he definitely maintained the. Uh, a positive mindset and outlook on the situation, understanding that there's nothing he could do about the injury besides move forward, uh, besides focus on his rehab and just try to get a little bit better each day. And he's done that. He's approached it, you know, with with, with great will and determination. Uh, I remember seeing him in there at six, seven, eight a.m. He's doing two days on on the rehab side, uh, trying to tighten up, especially when he was going through uh, those phases of having to be on the alter G, you know, which basically reduces your weight and allows you. To kind of progress quickly in terms of maybe using 60% of your weight and starting to walk, maybe running on 70% of your weight instead of the full hundred uh, that you have uh, normally off the treadmills and things of that nature. So I'm excited about it. He's hired a chef. He's really tightened his his whole his whole life up. He's tightened up his mindset. He's tightened up his his approach to the game. And I've always said it: when you go through traumatic experiences, and not that I've been to one to this extent, but injuries to where the game is taken away from you. Um, it changes your outlook on everything. Your approach changes, you know, how, how you value things changes and your work ethic a lot of times for the better changes because you're so focused on coming back better than you were before you left that a lot of times you come back a better, a better player mentally and physically. What's funny, we, we've had a, an array of guys come on and talk about just that. Last week it was Dalvin Cook. Uh, you've talked about it. I know that we, it seems like no matter the sport, if someone has an injury at the professional level, uh, an injury that makes them, let's say, miss significant time, weeks, months, there is a you know, learning process that takes place if you're willing to allow your mind to be there and get there, but a learning process that takes place which is extremely beneficial so that when you come back, you've now seen the game a different way that you can apply it, and then maybe more importantly, you appreciate the game and your role in it more than you did when you were healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've all seen that, you know, by we all, I mean players that have gotten hurt and just watching the pace of guys when they come back from injuries, watching obviously Dobbin Cook's situation is different being a football player, but he was able to have a full summer of actually training. And that means something. A lot of times when you're rehabbing, it's hard for you to really work on your craft because you're focused on, you know, the equal the equal side of things. You know, making sure your equilibrium is right, making sure you're working the right side versus the left side, keeping the structure. And if it's a tendon issue, trying to strengthen the tendons. And then you have to mix in the appropriate amount of rest during the recovery to where it's hard to really train and focus on adding strength, focus on adding weight if that's what you want to do, focus on adding quickness because you're really just trying to rehab and get yourself healthy again. So I think in, in, in Nurk's case, he's been able to rehab. He's been able to also work on deficiencies, get stronger, tighten up his balance. And now I think the last phase is comf comfortability and being comfortable, getting the conditioning aspect back and continuing to feel um, as if he can go out there and play without thinking. So in terms of, well, I guess this is, there's really no way to transition, but the NCAA has been in hot water, CJ, and finally some progress is being made. 
Uh, in case any of our listeners have been living under a rock, the NCAA's defeat in California basically says that in 2023, there is a good chance or a, a fighting chance that college athletes will be paid in California. What is your interpretation of this? Um, I think just my opinion that nobody cares about, I think it's great news. I am so excited about this, but you're the one that is in the league now and had to go through uh, what many athletes do. So give me a sense of your opinion on this. Uh, I think it definitely is great news, and it's a step in the right direction. I think based on the conversations that we've had you know, as athletes with outsiders, with people who are involved in college sports and people who are not involved with college sports, I think the reoccurring theme is people th- believe that college athletes sh- should be considered amateurs. They should not be considered professionals and that they should not be paid. But I think most players and people who have watched the game and seen the amount of money these games are generating, seen how kids oftentimes are exploited at a lot of these major colleges and universities, um, there is enough money to go around. And I think uh, a lot of people aren't breaking down the actual numbers. You look at some of these TV deals that these colleges and universities uh, have have partnered along with CBS. You look at um, the shoe deals. You look at the apparel deals that these universities are signing. And obviously, there are issues with Title IX. They're trying to figure out how to balance the money. But I think for respective athletes and student athletes to be able to receive money to be able to be paid by local car dealerships to be able to receive funds you know from from local sponsors i think that's a step in the right direction obviously everyone's not created equal and all athletes are on the same level so the star player at ucla is probably going to get more than the the small school kid at loyola marymount or or whatever the case may be but but i think it's a step in the right direction because of the amount of money that's being generated and because of i know what it's like to be a kid in college and struggle. Sometimes you struggle financially. Maybe it's the background. Maybe it's where you come from. Um, it's not oftentimes not enough, you know, based on tuition, based on Pell Grants or whatever the case may be. And I think this is a step in the right direction, especially for California with it being such a major sports state. Um, I think this is this is great news. And obviously, I don't know the ins and outs of what this law or this bill will entail. And I'm sure there will be some uh, pending challenges towards it. I, I think it's a, a great step in the right direction for a lot of student athletes. And I think it will begin to start some nice bidding wars uh, for local sponsorship and, and, and potential deal opportunities. The fact that it happened in California, to me, says a lot because you have very connected, politically connected schools in that state, whether it be Cal Berkeley, Stanford, USC, UCLA, the UC school system as a whole. And I love the fact that uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, the fact that he played Division One baseball at Santa Clara, um, he understands what athletes are going through. And, um, you know, guys not sometimes having the opportunity to pay for their food. I mean, basic stuff that you would think is included in a scholarship but isn't always the case. And I understand that the NCA is its own, uh, I guess, corporation and that they have operated like that for forever. But this is now – this is, a, 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 I guess you could say, their armor being tested because for the first time ever, you, you see that the NCA is vulnerable and that you have – like a ton of backing for student athletes that wasn't there before. And the fact that the governor of California of all people is that the is spearheading this is just a great thing. So 
Um, I'm excited about it. Like you said, there's a lot that needs to happen still. But uh, this is good news for me, CJ. Yeah, I think it's great news. And obviously, it doesn't go into place until 2023. So they can continue to figure out ways to kind of tighten up um, this new law that that will potentially go into place. And I think a lot of other states will follow suit. People talk about the unfair recruiting advantage this may create. And I think this is just more so a challenge um, to competitive universities around the world to potentially look at this. You have a lot of football players who have name and likeness. You have a lot of basketball players who have name and likeness likeness from sport to sport. And I think LeBron had a great point. Zion Williamson, a guy who played in college last year, um, was in a situation where his team was constantly on TV. ESPN games, CBS games, primetime games, and the ticket sales alone, the tickets were being scalped. The amount of money per ticket was unbelievable. It was unlike anything they've seen, comparable to Super Bowl tickets, comparable to NBA Finals tickets in a college game. Solely because of this kid, people wanted to see him play. And he wasn't able to obviously receive any benefits or or anything of that nature based on his name and likeness, but you could buy... Zion Williamson's jersey without his name on the back. And what's to say that he doesn't deserve a local car deal in Durham, a local Jimmy John's deal, a local Starbucks deal? How is that hurting the NCAA if a guy is in a city and he's able to capitalize on his ability to generate funds for not only himself, but for his team? And gives him a chance to make some extra money to help support his family, give somebody an extra opportunity to be able to make money while going to school, while playing a sport, because you can't go to class and go to work. It's not enough time in the day for that as a, as a full-time student athlete. So And play. Yeah, exactly. And try to play. I think this gives people an opportunity to really take advantage. And obviously everyone won't, won't be accredited the same opportunities, but it's a step in the right direction. New York Times has a really interesting article. I'd, recommend everyone interested in this read, um, says years of public polling that showed rising support for compensating college athletes for their talents did not go unnoticed in Sacramento, which of course is the capital of California. And and even then, there were still some question marks as to how this vote would play out. Um, it's in the infancy stages. You talked about potentially having an unfair recruiting advantage. You talked about potentially having an unfair recruiting advantage, CJ. That would be in California, I would imagine, uh, which is the NCA's point, that, for example, if Stanford or USC can pay their athletes and Washington or Oregon can't, why wouldn't a student athlete go to one of those schools? Um, what say you on that? Yeah, I mean, they have a point, but at the same time, someone's going to go where they want to go. If they don't like California, they're not going to go there just because they can get some extra endorsement deals. I feel like a lot of times people are, are picking universities based on feel, the vibes that it gives off. Obviously, the coaching staff makes makes a difference. The educational aspect, what type of degree can I attain from this university? And what's the competitive nature of the university? Out-of-conference schedule, in-conference schedule, what type of uh, supporting cast will I have as a player? And a lot of times, these guys are trying to team up now. So you have people who are friends all the way from grassroots. And a lot of times, they want to go to the same universities and schools together. So um, it's just not about just the endorsement deal side of it because California is a beautiful place, but does UCLA get the best talent every year? No. Does 
Cal Berkeley get the best talent every year? Absolutely not, because there's a lot of things that factor into uh, the ability to offer certain player scholarships. Obviously, Cal Berkeley is a prestigious university, which means the requirements to get in are higher. You have to have a higher ACT, SAT score. You have to have a higher GPA. So I think players are going to pick schools based on feel, based on opportunity, based on coaching staff. The endorsement deal side of it is just a bonus. But I don't think more players are just going to go to California just for that. I don't agree. I don't think so. I asked a uh, a highly decorated high school basketball player that question um, just out of curiosity. Didn't get the sense at all that it would affect him. Um, obviously, he won't be there in 2023. But basically, the thought being, if you could go to UCLA or USC and have money that was legal and not, you know, get the same benefits from going to, let's say, um, any other school outside of California, would it, would it make a difference? The answer was, was really no. Um, I do think that you're going to see other states now start to be aggressive and make the same push that Governor, Governor Newsom in California have. Um, would you be surprised if, let's say, within a year or two years that – most states did not try to create similar legislation. I think the NCAA is pushing to get rid of this. They, they, they don't like the thought of this. Um, this is like their worst nightmare. So I think they'll discourage universities around the country to, to put this type of uh, practice in place. But I think the Ohio states of the world, uh, middle America, um, will definitely relish the opportunity to kind of create an even playing field with the California schools. You look at football. Football is most prevalent in what the South. You got the you got the Ohio State's of the world, the Iowa's, the Big Ten, and then you have the South with Clemson, with Alabama, <clears throat> with all those types of schools. So they're looking obviously at this. You know, twenty twenty three being the year this is going to be enforced and. How many great football players could really take advantage of this deal? And then how many maybe lower level, you know, Division One players could maybe get a local endorsement deal or just be able to, you know, maybe it's a car dealership, maybe it's a sneaker sneaker deal because the universities are already sponsored by the Nikes, the Under Armors, the Adidas anyway. So why not be able to get a little bit more um, cash on the side from that as well? I totally agree. And, you know, the people smarter than me, I'll leave it to these these folks to figure out the – um, distribution from, let's say, football and basketball to tennis and baseball or softball. But um, I, like, I don't know. I didn't play major college basketball, but uh, I spent my first two years at Seattle U, which was a scholarship school. And I remember guys struggling, like, middle of the semester, late semester, to get money for food because the scholarship money was only so much. And it, it, it bothered me then. It bothers me more now, now that I've become more educated on it. And uh, you mentioned Zion. I mean, you know, if he if he had, I wonder if for, for players like Zion's caliber, of Zion's caliber and R.J. Barrett, if these guys were getting paid, I wonder if it would impact them or maybe other players to stay in school longer, um, perhaps in football, basketball, because they felt more comfortable about their financial situation. And that was maybe more um, inducive to graduating or at least staying in school another year or two. What do you think? I think guys would still go pro regardless of circumstances because it's still pennies on the dollar. You know, even if they're able to, let's say they get a six-figure car deal, which is high end. Let's say they get a six-figure sneaker deal, which is on the high side of what a lot of these college athletes will be offered. Um, 
as amateurs, if you go to the NBA or NFL, um, you're being paid top dollar. You're making millions of dollars, and they're guaranteed, and it's guaranteed dollars over three years, over two years, or over four years, depending on the structure of the contract. So, you're not going to turn down 15 million for 300 thousand to stay an extra year or to stay an extra two years to make six figures when you're going to be making seven figures with a with potential to make eight. Yeah, um, Draymond and LeBron have. Obviously, been very outspoken on this issue. Have you talked to any players, though, CJ, that don't agree with this new law that are maybe saying, you know what, let me push back on this? <laughs> no, besides Tim Tebow uh, going on TV saying <laughs> that he didn't, he didn't, he doesn't want people to accept money, and he didn't agree with it. I haven't heard any current players um, object this, mainly because you should be compensated for your work. Like if you're good at something and you have an opportunity to. Sell pants. You look at the Ohio State Michigan rivalry, they get gold pants. Yeah, they have these yeah. awards and rewards that are given out for victories. If you want to sell it, this is your item. You can sell it. If you want to sell your Big Ten championship ring, it's your ring. You should be allowed to sell it and make money off of it because you worked for it. Exactly. And there's no other job in, in the world where you, you perform and aren't paid and aren't paid for it. No one's do, no one's doing free labor. Exactly. And and if you're if you're a regular student, not a student athlete, you're just at Duke or you're at uh, Washington, you're at Michigan, you're at Ohio State. You can do any of these things and not have to worry about it. But if you're an athlete, you do. So if like if Coca Cola or Pepsi wanted to sponsor Zion, why couldn't he have said, "Let me let me take this deal"? I mean, and not not all the sneaker companies and soft drink makers are going to want to. Um, you know, make deals like this, but there's going to be a select group of players in both football and men's basketball that are going to have this opportunity. And uh, far be it for us to say, you know what? You can't do that. And the NCAA, CJ, I have been probably as critical as the of the NCAA as anyone. Uh, it's President Mark Emmert. used to be the president of UW. We got to know him a little bit in Seattle. Uh, I thought he had good intentions He's been very clear that if you abide by this law, for instance, California schools, there will be a punishment. If there, the, re, the reason I ask if other states would get involved with this legislation, because the more states and more schools that do so, the harder it is for Mark Emmert and the NCA to penalize a few select group of schools. Right, and these schools are making so much money, they can afford whatever penalties he's going to throw at them. If they want to try to fine universities or whatever the case may be, they can afford it. I think people are getting so caught up in the kids should be paid or kids shouldn't be paid. I think they should have the opportunity to explore it if that's what they want to explore. To to just take away that opportunity completely is unfair, especially when these universities are making millions of dollars and when these sponsors are generating millions and millions of dollars. I think it's important that respective student athletes have an opportunity to benefit on their name and likeness. That's all. They don't have to, but they should have the opportunity to, to decide if they want to or not. And it's un-American. It really is. And the bedrock of college sports has been not paying athletes, but this is just un-American to me. I, I, I don't know how else to put it. That's the simplest way. Yeah, let's not, let's not pay the athletes, but let's pay their coaches $8 million a year. Like, come on, man. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, really? I, listen, I... I, it, I, we'll, be, we'll be monitoring this, no question about it. Um, but I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that we're on the same page. I, I think most people, most reasonable humans, especially anybody that played sports in college, could understand uh, how, 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 how much good this 
Bill could do. Um, okay, so it's been a fascinating week for Blazer fans and for the Blazers because of camp, but also because your teammate and all-NBA point guard and pull-up guest, Damian Lillard, has had a few words exchanged with Shaquille O'Neal. Have you noticed this, CJ? I have. I heard the diss track. Um, when Shaq initially dissed Dame, Dame told me about it and said that he had already made his response or whatever and that he was going to put it out shortly. And um, he said that he's really going to go at him and that it wasn't anything personal. It was just more so, you know, words and rap. Like Shaq challenged him in a disc and he was going to challenge Shaq in a disc as a response. It was what, it's what MCs and artists alike do. And I think it was very competitive. Um, obviously, there's no real malice or beef towards one another, but... I think they really went at each other, and, and <laughs> one of Dame's funny bars was, all the money in the world, but trades you for penny. <laughs> and I think I think they both, you know, had some, some pretty solid lines, but the funny part is that Dame really raps. I think, obviously, Shaq's gone platinum. He has a history of having his hands in a lot of different pots. You know, he's an entrepreneur. He's an analyst on TV. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest players that ever played the game. And I think there was just confusion or maybe a mix-up in, you know, how Shaq perceived an answer from Dame in an NHL Button interview. Dame basically said, I don't think people look at him as an artist. People look at him as Shaq. That's how I look at him, as, as just Shaq, like a global figure. And I think Shaq took offense to that and uh, in turn made a diss song. So I think it's it's good for the culture. It's it's good for both of them to to be able to get back in the booth, get back in the studio and 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 make art. And I think it's good for fans to be able to listen to it and, and comment and judge and, and figure out what they like better. For what it's worth, who whose diss track did you think was better? Oh, I thought Dame's I don't even think it was close, but but I also don't think there's any malice here with Shaq. You know, he he he's not he's just a big lovable guy like this is how he operates I, I first met Shaq CJ when I was in must have been sixth grade and this is a crazy story that I've never actually told I must have been let's say 11 years old and I'm doing my homework in my bed uh or on my bed I didn't even have it I don't even think I had a desk and I'm basically let's say I'm reading writing and all of a sudden I hear footsteps right and I'm like what is going on because sounded like it, was, it almost felt like it was an earthquake and in Seattle, we had earthquakes, so that was my first thought. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see this massive human being walk into my room, duck under the uh, the door, and, and just kind of stroll in and sit down on the bed to which it almost broke, and it was Shaquille O'Neal. Um, he and my dad had a had a good relationship, and he, he would come over whenever the Lakers were in town from time to time and have dinner. Uh, he used to just eat loads of food and cake. And I, he was so good to me as a kid that I just loved him for it. But even then, I will say, I thought Dame got the better of him. And uh, Dame's, Dame's in his like prime as a rapper. Shaq's basically retired. So I, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think Dame's wordplay was better. I think his punchlines and bars are better. But I like the animation Shaq. Shaq put the little puppet there. He had some animations. He's a he's a showman. He's a, he's definitely a showman. And um, I look forward to seeing if there's a response. I'm not sure if 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 Shaquille responds. I'm not sure if Dame hits him with a back-to-back Drake style. But either way, I look forward to seeing what happens. And we don't have a game until the 23rd, so there's plenty of time. Uh, for them to get in the studio if need be. They got about 21 days until our first game. 
the real question is why do people feel the need to come at Dame? Now, I know that he went on Joe Budden's podcast and said he's a better rapper than Shaq, but guys feel like they want to get the best of Dame, and I'm not sure anyone has yet. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think we live in a, in a world now where people are very sensitive. People are very sensitive, especially when – when it comes to comparisons, people don't like to be compared to others. They don't like for people to express their opinions on themselves when it involves putting someone else down. I think the the last time somebody dissed him was Marvin, and I think he was upset with something Dame said in an interview or another, and in turn put out a diss track. And they went back and forth for a while, but it was more so in, in, in play. Uh, playful attacks, jabs, bars. And in this this next case, it was another instance where someone felt disrespected and responded. Uh, we, we live in an era now where people are quick to respond, quick to be angered, quick to to want to one-up the next. And it, it's kind of funny to me that uh, the, the world has come to that. But needless to say, I enjoy it. And I hope people continue to diss each other and make songs so that I can have some entertainment. Uh in my spare time. Would CJ McCollum ever consider getting, um, creating a track? I'm not a rapper. I, I, I have been in the booth before. I've actually made songs before like as a younger person, but you'll never hear them. They will never be released. And uh, it was just more so fun because we enjoy art and music is definitely art. It's a, it's a form of expression. It's something I enjoy being a part of. But I told Dame, I told Joe Budden the other day, uh, Joe Budden had FaceTime D and I was like, I'll do um, some ad libs, and that's about it, bro. I might do like a little uh, intro, you know, maybe some spoken word in the intro uh, to where I'm really just talking. It's not really rap, it's just me talking and basically setting the scene for what's about to happen on an album, maybe an interlude uh, or an outro, but that's about it. I have no desire to pursue. that field, mainly because I know I'm not very good at it, but also because I rather listen to music than make it. Dan, I really get the sense that he enjoys this, though. He not only enjoys being in the studio, but he enjoys the extracurricular activities like this. Oh, I'm sure he he was happy. Uh, he had a, he had a chance to get back into the studio quickly and, and put something together uh, because of Shaq. I'm sure he really enjoyed it and. Uh, he really does like, he really does enjoy writing music, making music, the whole process of being in the studio. It's it's semi-therapeutic for him. I think it's his escape. Uh, obviously, we work so hard at our craft, we work so hard in our day-to-day that you need another uh, hobby. We call them healthy hobbies to where you're able to be productive but step outside of your normal space. And I think music uh, is is that for him. Absolutely. I mean, for you, it's probably... I mean, wine, Netflix. Uh, I know you like to read, yoga. Right, reading, Netflix, podcasts, yoga. There's a lot of stuff you can do outside of your normal day-to-day activities, especially if it's running up and down a court or getting hit in football or swinging at baseballs. Everybody finds a, a healthy hobby or something outside of that that they're able to use as an escape. Speaking of hobbies, uh, I guess we'll close on this. Your Cleveland Browns, your favorite team, had a shocking blowout win in Baltimore. Uh, I was on the Ravens. I, I could not believe the performance they put on uh, on the road. And by the way, you know your your Twitter or Instagram was was too fun. It looked like you were at some bar with several 
very inebriated Browns fans and also um, on Twitter making bets with people and apologizing profusely to Freddie Kitchens. I mean, it was an eventful Sunday afternoon for you. Super eventful. I just want to shout out the the fans here in Oregon. Uh, there's a bar uh, where all the Browns fans kind of gather at. Um, in Oregon, they watch games every Sunday. They get together. There's about 10 TVs connected that make like a huge big screen slash split screen to where they're all able to eat, do our dog pound cheers, dog check, and just support uh, our team. There's a lot of people from Northeast Ohio that have moved out to Oregon. There's people from all across the United States that are fans of the Browns, and they're able to kind of come together. But we really enjoyed the victory. It was a team victory where our defense really stepped up. Obviously, Denzel Ward still hurt. We uh, we got Randall back, um, and he showed up, showed out. Um, our run game, Chubbs was utilizing the run game. We didn't run a draw on fourth and nine, and we actually ran the ball on the goal line, so we're taking steps in the right direction. And Baker got rid of the ball faster. He got the ball out. He wasn't rolling right. He was poised. Um, he looked like the Baker of old. He looked like a Baker who was determined to prove his doubters wrong. He looked like the Baker who was confident in himself and the craziest part about all of this is that Odell Beckham wasn't really involved in the offense um he attracted a lot of double teams he had help over the top uh, I think he was targeted five six times we only ended up with two or three catches and we were still able to kind of dominate the game so uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Monday night I will be in attendance it shall be a great game and uh, this is our role to, to 10 and 6 we're two and two right now, top of the AFC North, and we got a tough opponent, and then we got the Patriots, and then I think we go on cruise control and cruise to ten and six. Out of all the great things that happen offensively, defensively, Odell Beckham two catches for twenty yards. That means in his last two games, eight catches for seventy six yards and only about ten yards a catch. Are you concerned at all? that he has yet to find his rhythm. I'm not concerned because he's an elite player. Uh, he's a game breaker, one of the best athletes to ever play football. So when he gets the ball in space, he'll have success. Obviously, he played against a Rams defense that was locked in. They were shadowing him and had help over the top in cover two. And against against the Baltimore Ravens, he had someone following him around on the, on the field as well. And that opened up things for Juice. That opened up things for the tight end. That opened up the run game for Chubb. So... Uh, as a player, especially as a receiver, you don't always have to have catches to impact a game. His presence on the field alone draws two and sometimes three eyes, uh, sets of eyes on him. So he'll figure it out. He'll still be a thousand yard receiver. He'll still be a pro bowler. If the Browns can, can win 10 games and get to the playoffs, I think he'll be happy if his production is the same as it has been historically because he's such a good player. He will have success. Uh, a couple of news and notes before we close out today's uh episode lebron james's o2 high school jersey was put on auction speaking of northeast ohio and uh, the bidding of the jersey cj has reached thirty-seven thousand dollars. i hope it gets over 50 pretty pretty cool I, I wouldn't mind having that and then second of all congratulations to tim anderson a friend of the show uh, and just a great all-around dude who just wrapped up the al american league batting title this week 335 batting average Pretty cool, man. That's dope, man. I like to think that him coming on the show really helped. He was going through an injury. He was recovering from his injury. He's able to clear his mind, come on the podcast, and then continue to bat better than anybody else in his division. You talk about greatness. That's great, being able to accomplish those things. Now, he deserves a nice, nice glass of wine. Speaking of wine. Oh, there it is. Okay. Cue the wine music, please. 
Perfection. Jordan, the offseason gives us a time to reflect on accomplishments, look at what we want to accomplish going forward, and to celebrate special moments with family and loved ones. As the season approaches, uh, it's important that we always sit down, have some food, and potentially some wine. So recently, I sat down with, with Coach Terry and Dee uh, at El Gaucho. Shout out to El Gaucho, a great steakhouse here in Portland. And Coach Terry was kind enough to let me pick the wine. So naturally, I went through and I tried to find something that I hadn't had before. And I found a Margot Pinot Noir 2015 from the Chilean Mountains. It was a solid vintage. Uh, depending on where you look for it online, it'll be about 36 to 37 bucks. Obviously, in restaurants, they'll upcharge you, so you will be, will be prepared to spend more. It was more bold and light, more smooth and tannic, more dried and sweet, and higher on the acidity side of things, which means that your mouth's gonna water. There was definitely some fruit notes in there, along with some oat. I'm more of a fruit guy personally, so I was really excited about that. Nice and light, it paired well uh, with the steak I had, and I also had some oysters, and it was really, really enjoyable. Uh, one of the top 12% of wines in the world, and top 20% of wines in the Chilean mountains, and it definitely goes well uh, with red meat if that's what you're into, but you can also um, pair it with veal, deer, things of that nature. And as for most Pinots, I'd say you store it around 58 to 59 degrees. Okay, that sounds great. I'm going to need some of that. And I actually also had a great Pinot, CJ. Ironically, CJ, from the same, uh, has the same name as the school I graduated from, Occidental. Um, as you know, I graduated from Occidental College. And it's called Occidental because it is a, it's basically a vineyard that has been, a small vineyard that has been turned into a Pinot because the Kistler Winery, which is a great, I mean, they make excellent wine and especially Pinots. Um, their family has adopted or I guess created this, uh, this new vintage and uh, it's excellent. It's about $68, $69. And um, I don't know the details of it. It tastes very similar to Litteri, which is a wine I've given you that you liked. It's a little less expensive. And, um, you know, it's basically right next door to Litteri in terms of the, the location. So uh, I loved it. And uh, I'll send you a picture and make sure you get it in your collection. I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to tasting this. And I uh, appreciate you sharing, man. I do. And we appreciate all our fans out there for tuning in, fans and listeners alike. Um, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, radio.com, backslash pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up. Pull up. <laughs> <laughs>